Hey everybody. How you doing? You should be doing a lot better today. How you doing today? It's Paul George Day. So I know that's like not the thing to say after we just gave all the praise and glory to Jesus, but that's exciting. Um, anyway, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. I'm very excited about what we're we'll getting into in the next few minutes. Today I want to talk about life, and what I mean by that is that seems pretty obvious. We always want to talk about life, but uh, no matter where you are in your life, no matter if you are someone who's exploring God, searching God, has questions about God, I believe God wants to speak into your life. I believe if you're someone who's been journeying with Jesus for a long time and you say, I am madly in love with God, I believe God wants to speak into your life today. I just believe that all the time because I believe God is always speaking and he's always looking for people who want to hear from him and people who want to know more about him. And so anybody who's willing and anyone who has ears to hear, he wants to speak. And today I believe he wants to intersect our lives and where we are, where we find ourselves, because God always sees us. He always knows us. He always has us. We always know. We say those sorts of things, but I like the idea that God sees us right where we're at, sees our life, and he wants to speak into it. And so we're going to talk about life. Now, next month, speaking of life, I've turned 40 years old next month. I know that's shocking to most of you. I'm, uh, most of you are thinking, I thought you were in your young 20s, but I, I know... I'm a man. I'm 40. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> my oldest daughter is uh, 15 and a half. She just got her uh, driver's permit the other day and on the same day started her first job. And so I'm thinking back to all these, like I'm being very, very linked. It looks like midlife crisis may be about to hit me. Like 40, kid is about, someone just said, oh my gosh. I, I know. Uh, anyway, this, this, this is happening and I keep thinking, we were watching... Um, home videos, which is always fun to do, and seeing our kids as little babies, and I was thinking, we saw Emily, and I was thinking about Emily as a baby, and this story came back to me this week um, when she was about one years old, and uh, we were at home, and I was emptying the dishwasher, like I do, and uh, I was emptying the dishwasher, and I kind of turned away for a minute, and I think I was talking to Christy, and, um, and I turned back around, and Emily, who had been crawling on the floor in the kitchen, had crawled up on the on the door of the dishwasher, you know what I mean? And she was sitting in the door and she had grabbed a steak knife and literally had the knife going into her mouth. And so what do you do as a parent, right? We both like freeze, like what is about to happen? And uh, Christy like calmly and coolly like goes over and like, cause you know, what is she, you don't want to like, like react too big cause what's gonna happen with, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't want to do that. And so, uh, we, we, she kind of calmly, coolly just pulls the knife out of her mouth. And she's like, I've told this story before. And she's like, don't tell that story that makes us look like bad parents. I'm like, no, you look like a hero. Like you saved our child from looking like the Joker. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this is good. And anyway, I like, to, I like to tell that story before I read a verse uh, that talks about this. Because there's a verse in Hebrews 4.12 that says the Bible is like a knife. And I just think that's a really terrible transition so I make up this, I tell this story about Emily and a bite. It's not made up. It's true. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And what that means is, of course, the Bible can cut into places that nothing else can, that can open up your life. Remember, we're talking about your life and it can cut in through defenses and fears and the junk of life right into what, what we need to hear. And 
I, I just, I've experienced so many times where God's word says things that nothing else can really say. Uh, nothing else can speak to me the way that God's word does. And so today, uh, I want to focus on a story out of the word um, that I hope will kind of speak to your heart, but I hope it'll actually kind of do a little cutting into your life in a way that um, nothing else can except his word. And so it's in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. We're, we're obviously talking about Jesus. We've been, I think we're in week number seven or eight. And, um, and we just, I know that sounds obvious to talk about Jesus, but we've just really enjoyed talking about his life and his mess, the message that he brought, what his whole story was about. And, and the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about some encounters. Uh, and, and last week, Micah talked about a, a story from when Jesus raised a guy named Lazarus from the dead. If you were with us, you remember that story. And a couple other people in that story were Mary and Martha, which were the sisters of Lazarus. And we're going to talk about another encounter between Jesus and Mary and Martha um, this morning. And, and I just have always related so much to this story. It seems very real in so many different ways. So here we go, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, meaning to Jerusalem, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do, work, do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will be not taken away from her. So, first of all, there's a little more happening than just the disciples stopping by for a meal. Uh, there's a lot of things we can talk about with this story. We're going to kind of dig into just a couple of them. Um, but Mary and Martha live in the village of, it's, it's, called, it's called Bethany. And Bethany is about a 30-minute walk outside of Jerusalem, so a few miles outside of Jerusalem, very convenient for the disciples to just stop in on the way, right, as they're going, uh, maybe in and out of Jerusalem. And it says that Martha opened her home to them. This is a this was actually a pretty big deal. Uh, if you can imagine in the ancient world, anybody that would open their home to a large group of people to come in and eat, this is a big commitment. This is uh, an act of very, uh, very generous, sacrificial love, meaning she's about to open up not only her home for them to be in it, but open up her food reserves. Because here's the thing, it's not like you can run, run to the store, you don't have it's not convenient to have loads of food. She has food reserves that she has probably stored up for the year that she's about to dip into to give to these unexpected kind of guests, and she is stepping into it. And so, but she loves it. You can tell she loves it. She loves hosting in some ways. She's, she seems very generous about it, and she, a lot of us love to host. Anybody in here, like, love to have people over to the house? You know what I'm talking about? And when you do that, you go, usually go all out. You're going to clean the house. You're going to, you're going to, well, some of you will. You're going to clean the house. You're going to bring out the best recipes. You're not going to bring out like your least favorite recipe. You know that meal that you have that you like every once in a while, like, I don't even know why I make this, but you still eat it. You're not doing that one. Um, you're, not, you're not bringing out the ramen noodle and the Ritz crackers. You're bringing out the best recipes, right? And so Martha, what we can tell is very hospitable. She wanted to help. She wanted to show her love, um, not only for Jesus, her, this group of friends that she had become a part of. Uh, she had become a follower of Jesus. And the Bible says that Martha, though, is distracted by the preparations. Now, this word distracted only appears in the New Testament right here. It's the only place it, it shows up. And, and I like the Greek word for this word distracted, and it's 
Uh, you can put it up there. It's perispao. I don't know you guys wanted to learn some Greek today, so why don't you say perispao. We were in the office the other day, and I, and I was talking about this, and I, it was Mike or Leslie or somebody, and, they, and they're like, Perry Sparrow. And I was like, mm, that's like the Oklahoma version of this or something like that. And it's like, I don't know. I just kind of imagine like the Perry Sparrows, you know, they got a good ball club this fall. I don't know. <clears throat> Not Perry Sparrow, Perry Spao. You got to roll the R. Anyway, um, it means this. It means to be pulled or dragged away, overburdened, preoccupied, torn in a different direction. So she was pulled into the work of the moment, right? Her mind had been preoccupied by this. And what was her little sister doing? (laughs) And we can assume she's little because it was Martha's home and Mary was at her home. So Mary is, in her mind, doing nothing, right? She's sitting over there just hanging out. Anyone experienced this before? Like Thanksgiving dinner, you're doing all the dishes and your little sibling is laying on the couch and you're like, what? And you just want to go and hurt them? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> this is how Martha is feeling. She has that. Some of you are like, I know this so deeply every year. Yes. Yeah. So Martha's left to finish the work all by herself. And Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus listening Mary's obviously not distracted or pulled in any other different direction. So I want to pause here because this is the part of the story that I think is a little bit unfair. At least it feels so. This is a strange moment. Um, You have Martha who is being generous, who's opening her home, who's doing the work, who's giving from her food reserves, who's being sacrificial, generous, and the servant right? And you have Mary, who I don't know, maybe she did some things, but at least in this story, what we can tell is, is not playing those roles. And Jesus comes up and says, she's chosen what is better. That, in my world, can be very frustrating. And what I mean by that is some of us are wired to do the work. You know what I mean? Some of us are wired like, I want to serve. I want to, get, I want to do all these things, and I want to take, make sure. I don't want to sit and rest until all the work is done because I feel like that's my role, right? Are you with me? Anybody with me on that? And you feel that tension, and this is where kind of Scripture cuts a little bit into the heart and into our life because for so many of us, we thought being generous and sacrificial and doing the work and being the one to, to go all the way and serve Maybe that's what we're supposed to be doing. So what is Martha doing that's wrong here? Well, I'm thinking about this, and I don't know if she's actually doing anything wrong. Jesus says Mary has chosen what is better. He doesn't say, Martha, you're doing something wrong. Mary's chosen what is better. You ever do the right thing, but there's a more right thing to do? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you can do the right thing, but there's actually a more right thing. When I go to dinner sometimes, we're out at a restaurant. You ever been out at a restaurant? You go to a restaurant, you order your food, and you're like all excited about it, and then the person next to you orders food, and you look at that and you go, hold on, what just happened? This happens all the time to me in my life with my wife. Like, she wins dinner every time. It's like, I don't know how to read a menu or something. And so, seriously, we order the food. It comes out, I'm excited about it. I take a bite of my food and I think, oh yeah, this is pretty good. And then Chrissy takes a bite of her food and she's like falling out of her chair talking about how amazing it is. And I'm like, oh, come on, I mean, come on, it can't be that great. 
And then I like take a bite and I'm like, oh, it's laying in the spirit or something. It's so great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's crazy. And I'm like, why does she win dinner every time? And here's the thing. I'm not wrong in what I ordered. What I ordered was good. There's a right thing, but there's just a more right thing. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. This can happen spiritually. You ever feel... <laughs> this is so true. Um, you ever feel like you're doing all you can spiritually? And you're like, I thought it was... I think I'm doing the right thing, but I did, I, I'm not feeling the Lord like I feel like I should be feeling Him. You know what I mean by that? Like you're like, I'm trying to do the right thing, but something's still not clicking. Sometimes I'm like, I'm going to dig in. I'm going to like fast and I'm going to pray. I'm going to start doing all I can to experience the Lord and hear from him, get this answer I need to get. And I'm like trying, but then it's like zero. You're like, I'm not getting what I feel like. I'm and so I'm going, am I, is it supposed to be about what I'm doing here? And, and then here comes my wife again, right, by the way. She just kind of like th shows up and messes with my head a lot because then she's like, I've like been fasting for a month or something like that. No. That happens all the time. And, and she's like, oh, I was having coffee this morning. I'm like, you're having coffee? I'm fat. And she goes, and the word, and the Lord spoke to me and gave me a word. And I'm like, what? And she's like, and then it's like, ah, doves start flying in. And she's like, this is what the God said. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I've been trying to figure this out. And anyway, sometimes you're like doing the right thing, but there's a more right thing. Are you with me? Yeah. Martha thinks I'm doing the right thing. And Jesus says, yeah, but there's a more right thing. For a moment, I want to talk about Mary, because Mary is a, Mary's an interesting lady. There's several Marys in the scripture, just so you're not confused. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think we know that's not, this is not that same Mary. And then there's also another Mary that we get confused by, about Mary Magdalene, who is the one who discovered Jesus, uh, the empty tomb, right? That's kind of her claim to fame, but she was also at the crucifixion. She, she's, she's around a lot in the scriptures, and this is Mary Bethany, and... Um, we also have another story of her in, in John chapter 12 that I referenced on Wednesday night at our worship night. Uh, so this has been like a Mary and Martha week, by the way. <laughs> um, and it was, it was really, worship night was great. You need to come to June or July one. But um, I didn't read this part of the story, so I'm going to read this part of the story just to kind of get a little more insight into Mary. Um, John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived whom Jesus has raised from the dead. No big deal. <laughs> Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha, what? Served. Hmm. Very familiar, isn't it? <laughs> Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. He was recently just dead, which is very interesting. Um, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. At, and the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas, of course, who, was the, who would later betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. That's some expensive perfume, by the way. A, weir, a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put into it. So Mary was extravagant, right? She knew how to worship Jesus. She saw him as Lord or King. She had seen Jesus raise her brother from the dead. Martha served, which is good and is right, but Mary did something extravagant, which I think is 
This is like the same story happening here, isn't it? There's several layers going on here, by the way, and I always like, if you around us much, I like to take the sidebar for just a moment and then I'll come back to the main point. The main point is that there are, there are, uh, there's a more right thing sometimes, but just an interesting side part to this whole, or sidebar to this whole story is in Luke 10, we actually see this um, pivotal kind of place in Scripture in our understanding, in our Christian understanding of Jesus and his view of women. Um, in the ancient culture of Israel, women were, believe it or not, marginalized. They were pushed to the outside. I know this is crazy that this happened in history, but women were marginalized. They were, they were pushed to the edges. They were, they were put into a box to say, this is where you belong. You're not allowed to be in any sort of significant conversations about religion or politics or, or philosophy, uh, but you, 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 know, you stay over in this kind of space. And in fact, even in rabbinical sort of teaching settings, uh, women were not allowed to sit in the presence of the rabbi and, and listen to the teaching. And so what you find in this story is something quite different, don't you? You find Jesus, who's considered a rabbi, and who's sort of the biggest thing going in his day. And where is Mary sitting? Mary's sitting right at his feet, right in the middle of everything. She's not in the other room with a glass to the door trying to hear what's going on. She's actually sitting right next to his disciples, because the disciples were actually the ones who sat front row, just so you know. So the disciples were the ones who sat right in the front, and there's Mary right in the middle of them, really taking on culturally the, um, a role of equality with these disciples, which I think is significant. This isn't coincidence. This, isn't, this is actually very intentional, and very, it, the fact that it's here is huge, because here's what's going on, is Jesus is restoring something, and he's going against the culture, and he's creating some countercultural changes to a society that wasn't quite ready for the full restoration of women, but he was pushing them forward to what needed to happen. So Bethany, um, excuse me, Mary of Bethany is soaking up the teaching and presence of Jesus, and Martha is a bit confused, isn't she? She doesn't think that's her role. She thinks she's supposed to be somewhere else. And Jesus says, but she's chosen what is better. So maybe there's even more happening in this story than we sometimes first read. He was trying to live something in almost every aspect. What is, it, what, is it, what is this whole idea of doing a series on Jesus? That he changed everything about everything. And he's trying in so many ways, once and again, show us counterculturally. He's telling the world to live something different than what was being lived around him. And so he obviously, and, and this, this is like, again, a sidebar, but I think it's an interesting point that anytime we can make points like this, I think it's in, in, important for us to make them. He's not saying, he's saying, first of all, that God obviously did not create women to be under the heel of, of man's boot or to be marginalized. But I created women as the only thing um, to complete the one thing in creation. I said that was not good. What was the one thing he said in his creation that was not good in his creation account? Boom, 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 boom. Man without woman, right, was the only thing he said not good. And here we have this story where he's just reminding us of that. Underneath the story of Jesus and this new way of living was this revolutionary idea that elevated and restored the role of women because everything was broken when sin entered the world. Humanity and God's relationship was broken. Humanity and creation's relationship was broken. And man and woman's relationship was broken. Peace was broken. Shalom was broken. And Jesus is saying, I've come to restore all of that. And he's doing it in little ways like this, where he's putting Mary front and center. And he's saying, you know what? 
She belongs here. So Jesus is restoring, and we must re- embody and continue to restore this as well. Um, that's a sidebar. Amen? Amen? Amen, that's good news. And honestly, I don't know if it feels like a big news to you. Maybe you already feel this way, but I still feel like we have to speak that into our culture today. And it honestly makes me just say, thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you, even though people have distorted your message for years, that if we get back to the real message of what you're about, this is what it is. This is what it is. It's not one of marginalization or oppression or any of these sort of false narratives that have been put out there. But it's one of love and equality and one of restoration. And so anyway, I really get fired up about it, even though I'm not sounding fired up. I love it. I love it. He's so good. You know he's so for you? Did you know that? Tell me, do you know that he's so for you? I mean, I don't know if you know that because you're not really. Do you know that he's so for you? Man, he's so good. So I've always related, like I said at the very beginning, I've always related to this encounter between Jesus and Mary and Martha. There's something about it that feels very human. Like it could happen at my house tonight. You know what I mean? Like this very thing could happen. And it probably has happened. And Jesus is inviting, and a lot of times we see this, and we don't see this, we see this as maybe Martha having a tantrum or Jesus correct. It's Jesus is inviting her into something. Jesus is inviting Martha into something else. And he's inviting him into his presence first. That's what I love about it. It's not about performance. It's not about do the right thing. It's not about earning his love. It's not about, it's not about trying to do acts of penance or trying to, trying to do the moral things first, which, by the way, all those things are religion. Religion is just comparing ourselves to others to make sure we're jumping through the right spiritual hoops. We're, we're, we're creating, a, a, you know, living at some level of a moral code and, you know, a life dedicated to believing the right things. He doesn't want us to live into a religious, rela- a religious life. He wants us to live into a life that's predicated by a relationship in, pre- in the presence of Jesus. Are you with me? How, I mean, I know we have maybe heard that if you've been in church, you've always heard the difference between religion and relationship. But I know as a person who's in the church every day that we all still struggle with this. We struggle with it more than we like to admit it, that we find ourselves falling into the rhythms and routines of religion versus in the rhythms and routines of presence with Jesus. Jesus was inviting Martha into that. And the strange thing about religion is that there's a lot of right things about religion. Religion's not a bad thing. There's actually a lot of very right things about religion. That's why Jesus says, oh, you know what? That's a right thing, but um, maybe there's a more right thing. Uh She chose what is better. Maybe that's what's going on here. So Martha was distracted. She was pulled away. This is really good language for us. Remember, parispao? He was distracted. She was pulled away, overburdened, preoccupied, torn in a different direction, I don't know about you, but I believe my life is like that so often. And I forget what Jesus has invited me into first. I forget that he's invited me into first his presence. Do you know that in the scriptures we never find Jesus rushed? He's never rushed. Like he's always, he's not, he's not like us where he's trying to, you know, how many texts can I read while the, the light's red, you know what I mean? And that person, this, the light turns green and then they're still sitting there. And you're like, should I honk? Should I honk? Go ahead and honk. 
Jesus never rushed. You don't see him trying to cram 70 minutes into 60. Anybody do that? How many of us feel this in our life? We rush from one thing to the next, right? We get up in the morning. We rush out the door. We rush through our day. We rush through our meals. We, we just rush. We rush, we rush, we rush. And I love the story in Mark 2. I'm not gonna, it's not going to be on screen, but it just real quickly references. There's a story about Jesus getting up in the morning. Jesus gets up in the morning. He goes and prays. And he's out by himself praying, and his disciples come to him. And I don't know how you'd feel if someone said this to you, and it was literally true. And so the disciples came and said, everyone's looking for you. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever had that. I mean, if that's literally true, that's going to make me go, oh, I'm going to get into rush mode, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, everybody's looking for me? Like, literally everybody? Yeah, this everybody is looking for you. Oh, my gosh, I better get going. Jesus is just like cool as the other side of the pillow, you know what I mean? Because he's just been in the presence of Jesus. And he gets up and he's just like, all right, and he goes to work. And he starts like, oh, demon, whap, you know what I mean? Heal, uh, raise, yeah. Uh, he just does his thing. And then he's like, oh, by the way, I got to go. I got to go right now. I'll be back. I got to go. Where are you going, Jesus? I'm going to go be by myself to be with my father. And he does this time and time again. And I think so many times we think of Jesus. And when someone says, hey, you need to get in the presence of the Lord, Jesus was was doing stuff. He was going to work every day, all right? He was doing his thing, but he wasn't rushed because he knew where he had to go first. He had to go be with the presence of the Father. He had to go sit in his heavenly Father's presence. He knew this, and he did this, and he practiced this, and we rush through everything. We're so easily distracted. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to use these words that I put on the screen a little while, but just see if this is true, like in your life. We're so easily distracted. We're overburdened. We're preoccupied. We're torn in different direction. And when this happens, when it comes to a relationship with God, we're like, oh, man, I, I, and we almost feel like, oh, maybe I can get to church this weekend. <laughs> I'm going to try. I, I need to get there. And we almost feel like this like rush to go, oh, man, I've not been there. No, I need to get there. Oh, maybe I can serve here. And maybe I can go to that event. And we find ourselves pushing and pulling and thinking that about sh it's showing up to something that's actually going to feel like we've done what we need to do with our relationship with the Lord. And then every once in a while, and then, oh yeah, I need to get in the present. And we just find ourselves in this preoccupied, torn, in different direction, dragged, which way, are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. Let's make sure, like, I'm not the weird one. We're all weird. I just made that up. That was a good word, Tim. So as I race and I rush to the next thing, checking messages, keeping up with my calendar, I wonder if Jesus, I always, I kind of picture it like this. I was this week when I was just thinking on this, I was just picturing like Jesus, like sitting in the front seat, like going like this. So what are you doing? <laughs> so <laughs> what are you doing? I almost picture like that's what's going on. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I, I picture him going like, so what are you doing? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to the next thing. And he's like, you know there's something better, right? You know that, right? You know there's something better. So what are you doing? I don't think Martha was aware. She was trying to do the right thing, but she didn't know how to choose what was best. I mean, she missed the fact that Jesus was in her house. She was preoccupied with other things, and Jesus was in her house. Hey, Martha, 
So, what have you done? Anything we do in this life to serve, mission, love our neighbors, follow the passions of our heart, step into the power of God and see the miraculous, whatever happens in our life, right? I believe sometimes those things can happen without stepping into the presence of God because I believe sometimes I've seen it happen. I've seen people, God's that good, but I've also seen the people that know how to sit in the presence of the Lord and walk with him, and they don't live in a rushed way. They don't live in a way looking for the next, the next thing that they can hang their hat on and get, get fuel from for the next year. They're constantly full. And, you know, there's some terms, and, and I've had conversations with the, uh, people about this, like the idea of burnout. And, man, I, I kind of go back and forth on it. Like, I think there is some reality to burnout spiritually. But it only happens when you spend more than what you fill yourself up. It's literally burnout. And when I think about that, it's like, ah. So what are you doing? <laughs> Quit doing that. Quit going more than you're sitting. Quit trying to do more than you've allowed God to do in your life. Like, anyway, Jesus withdrew often to be with the Lord. Jesus told Martha, quit being so distracted and so busy and sit in my presence. So the question for us is how long has it been since you've intentionally sat in his presence? How often do you do it? For some of you, have you ever done it? And wherever you're at on that, uh, I hope today is helpful. I want to help you. Because for some, it's been a long time. For some, it doesn't happen very often. And for some, it never happens. And we rush and we toil and we sweat. And sometimes, even in the name of the right things, sometimes even in the name of Jesus, we do these things. And that is a pretty right thing to do it in the name of. But he's saying there's something better. There's a better way to do it. There's a life that's full of life. There's a life that's full of my presence where my goodness will flow out of you and will overflow in extravagant ways. You see, Mary, <laughs> Mary's story is one where I did, I, we only have these little glimpses into her life, but I, I want to make up this story about Mary that she sat in the presence of Jesus, knew how to do it, didn't get preoccupied or distracted, and all of a sudden, she's pouring the most expensive perfume out on her feet. That's the way we read it, right? I'm sure she wasn't perfect. I'm sure that that was just... But it's a slice of her life that we can look at and we can go, you know what? That's the right way. That's better. That is better. Jesus is saying you can choose better with every day of your life. All right, I'm about, I'm about done. We're going to worship here in a minute, but... I'm, I'm saying about done. I have a little bit longer. Um, you know, four months ago, um, four months ago when we began our prayer room, uh, the, the idea of it was obviously to pray, but it was also to grow in intimacy with the Father and to step into a time and place in our in our uh, in our weeks and in our days in which we would encounter the Lord and. There were four corporate prayers that I wanted to remind us of today that we made um, back then. Uh, and, and a lot of you have been praying for them since then. And, and I think it's powerful the way that God's already working and, and doing things. But 
The four corporate prayers, and what I mean by corporate prayers, if you, if you are new to church or anything, is just the four things that we all together want to be praying for. Um, maybe, and so we've been asking, hey, you to pray for these things. And, and some of them are really like heavy sounding, right? Spirit upon us like fire. That's like, the, that's a crazy prayer. And, and, and what we mean by that is, we see in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit would come upon people and they use the descriptive word like fire because it would burn in them, almost like we sang earlier today. Um, it would burn in them in such a way that it dictated their life and they started to see the power of God released in their life. And so we even saying, what if we prayed the Spirit to come on us like fire? What would happen to a community of people that that, that would, if that happened, right? And then we said, let's pray for evangelistic outpouring. And what we mean by that is just people coming to know Jesus, that people would start giving their lives to Christ, changing their lives for Christ. And by the way, just so you know, since Easter, which was the end of our 24-7 prayer, since Easter we've had more people come to know Christ in our church than we have in probably the two previous years. And so, you know, things are happening, even though we don't know it. And maybe you don't know it, but there's been people coming to Jesus. And then the other one, um, healings, which is always like this interesting conversation depending on your church background. But I think it's this powerful reality that we believe what we read in the scriptures, that, that God can do it again and that he's been doing it again. And so not just physical healings, which some of us have seen, a lot of us have seen, but also emotional wounds that need to be healed or other types of healings that take place. We want to continue to pray that healing is taking place in this church. I constantly hear stories of people in their life, not only physical need, but spiritual and emotionally, but I'm like, that's, we need healing over this church. And then, of course, the last one you see right there, the spiritual breakthrough, personal breakthrough, that you would have a personal breakthrough in your life in which God would break through. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a bitterness that you've had in your heart for a long time. I don't know what it is, but here's what I know about these prayers and why I even bring them up today. That, my friends, only happens by choosing to do what is better, the more right thing. There are so many right things that we can give ourselves to. But Jesus comes along and he says, you know what, you know what, you know what? All that stuff you're doing, sacrificing and generosity and all that servanthood stuff that you're doing, it's really good. But what she's doing, it's better. It doesn't mean you don't ever do those things. It just means seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first my presence. Let me be the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Sit in my presence. Learn to sit at my feet. And then I'll send you out. Life tries to demand so much for us. Life pulls and drags at us. It wants from us. The enemy, listen to this one. <laughs> the enemy does his best to distract us. And a lot of times we give the enemy all the credit and we say, oh, the enemy, man, he's just got my life like, and I'm like, no, 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 listen, we give a lot, a lot of credit to the enemy um, that I don't know if we should because here's the reality is this, that we are making choices, right? The life that we are choosing actually dictates who we are becoming. And if we're becoming someone who feels pulled and dragged away and constantly rushed, it's by, because of not usually the enemy, he doesn't have that much power over you. It's about the life you are choosing and the way you choose to live that dictates who you are becoming. That's a good word. It it's kind of goes along with that idea that um, the story that you want to live, um, you become exactly, <laughs> you become the, the story that you want to live, 
it'll become exactly the story that you choose to write. <laughs> when you choose to write it in a certain way, well, that's who you're going to be. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. So I know some of you may be unsure how to enter his presence and how to sit at the, at the feet of Jesus in these kind of Christianese sort of sayings that we say. So how do you soak in the presence of God? Well, it's one of those things that I will say this, that the more you do it, the more you learn. So if you feel totally new at that, know that it's like anything else. It gets better with age. <laughs> I thought of wine, I don't know. But set aside time this week to sit in his presence. Maybe it's in our prayer room. Maybe it's at your own home. If you don't know how to do it, our prayer room has a one-hour guide, and one hour might seem like a lot, but it gives you six 10-minute segments. What could you do for 10 minutes at a time? This kind of leads you in a way to experience that and to say, I can sit in the presence of the Lord for an hour and just pray. Um, well, we try to help you do that. We have some resources to help you do it. And maybe you're like, I already do stuff like that. Well, then what's next for you? Is it every day? Is it setting aside an extended time of solitude? As people, we need to hear from God, don't we? Anybody with me on that? Like, you want to hear from God? We know that. We need to be a people who hear from God. And when I mean people, I mean like you. All of us need to hear from God. And a lot of us, we kind of depend on others to hear from God for us. So we show up to places like this and go, I hope God speaks today. Well, God speaks every day and he'll speak to you. You just got to spend some time with him. <laughs> and I was like, when I was thinking about this message, I don't know how it's hitting you, but I was like, oh, this is like the most classic Christian message. Spend time with Jesus. But then I thought about my life and go, ooh, yeah, that's me. I, so what are you doing? What are you doing? Mary chose what was better. How many of you know that we're easily distracted? Anybody with me on that? Pulled away? Overburdened? Preoccupied? Martha was distracted while Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. So may we become people who desire and long to sit at the feet of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Spirit, we just, uh, we ask your guidance in our life. That, Lord, we can so easily be dragged into a different direction, even from the one we want to live. So, Lord, help us make choices and live a life in which we understand what is first, what is most important, what is better, what is the more right thing. And, Father, it's uh, such a gift that you invite us into this that you don't force us, you don't drag us, you don't, you, don't, you, don't even, you don't even punish us if we don't in the sense of us of us who are believers. You just invite us into more of your presence and more of your love. But Father, I pray, I pray that each and every one of us would feel the weight of it, that it wouldn't just feel like an empty invitation, that it, it doesn't matter if we don't do it, but that, Lord, we'd feel the weight that, Father, it's about our life and that we would feel the weight of the the seriousness of it, 
and how, Father, we can, we can just waste so much time, waste the best parts of who we are in our story. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that, Lord, we would hear this message and it would cut to our heart today. Just like your word says in Hebrews, that the Bible does, and I feel like it does today. So as we're responding, everybody's heads bowed. How many of you would say life right now is full of busyness and rushed and distraction that's pulled you away in different directions? And even though you're here today, you still feel a little frayed. How many of you would say that that's where life kind of feels kind of frequently for you? Just lift your hand real quick. How many would say, you know what, just like Jesus, you got up early and went by himself, or Mary when she saw what was better and sat at the feet of Jesus, like, even hearing that and seeing that picture, like, that is what you need today. Just lift your hand. And some of you raised your hand, you're going to raise it again. And some of you that didn't raise your hand, are going to raise it. If you just need, like, I need that time with Jesus. I need to sit in the presence of Jesus. Just lift your hand right now. You say, I'm, Jesus, I'm saying I want that today. Father, we just pray right now. I pray that you would help us learn how to step towards you by choosing what is better. Even in these last few moments this morning, I pray that, Lord, this time is yours. I pray all this in your name. Amen.